Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Graymere Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church of Christ. I read from Colossians 1, 24 through 29, Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What is it that you cannot live without? Someone asks you for a list of things you just cannot live without. What would be on that list? Now, we all know there are some things we literally can't live without. So food, water, shelter, those kinds of things. But what would make your list of things that you just feel like you have to have? We probably all have a list and probably a lot of the things on that list we know we don't really have to have, but we're really used to having them. Uh, we've become accustomed to it. Last week, Jason Helton was with us, and he was leading some sessions on technology, and we were talking about our phones. Uh, what would it be like if when you left here today, there was a box and everybody just placed their phones in that box? How, how many hours do you think we could all go? Uh, before we started sort of having withdrawals and thinking, I've got to make sure I can, I can get back to my phone. There's some things we just don't feel like we can do without. Uh, earlier this week, when there was a, a lot of cell service that was out, we got a glimpse of that, didn't we? Now, we could live physically without those things. We've just become accustomed to it. What if in that same box as you were leaving today, you had to drop the keys to your vehicle? And we just had to walk wherever we were going. We could still survive, but our schedules would look different. Uh, we'd have to handle things differently. There are some things on that list that we say, you know, I really don't think I could do without this, but we know we could. We could survive without it. But what is it that we just cannot live without? When I was growing up, we would go to my grandparents' house in Memphis and I had just, I still picture in the, my mind the layout of that house and what everything was in all the rooms, the dining room and the living room and the kitchen. And there were paintings all through their house. And when I was younger, I just saw these paintings. Some of them were outdoor scenes of uh, meadow and fields and uh, maybe some animals, some deer out there. Some were still life scenes. They just were sort of part of life at my grandparents' house. I just really saw them as the backdrop of going over to visit. That's how I looked at those paintings. And then as I got older, 
I started getting a little curious about those paintings and talking to them about it. And my grandfather told me that those were paintings made by his grandfather. And then I started seeing them in an entirely different light. I started looking at them and wondering about the life of this family member who had died before I was born and wondered what his life was like and thinking about the scenes that he was painting and what did that say about what he'd witnessed in his life and what were those memories like. It was the same set of paintings, but now it had a whole different meaning to me. I saw them in an entirely different light. Today, I can look at those same paintings. We have one of them in our house. And I can see them. And I still think of those memories as a child going over there. And, and I think about me listening to the stories uh, about uh, my great-great-grandfather and, and learning about those things. But now I see them in a totally different light. Because as I look at them, I think about... All of those things, all those family members connected to that. My perspective has changed because circumstances in life have changed. As we get older, as we mature, our perspective changes on things. You can probably think of items that you have in your home that have sentimental value. Or maybe you feel kind of a nostalgic attachment to. And the way you look at it is different than the way you used to look at it. Because things have changed. A spiritual maturity can do that for us as well. It can change the way we look at things. Now, if you wanted to give a technical term to what I've described, what happened as I grew up, uh, one way to describe it would be reframing. It would be taking things and putting them in a different frame. Now, those paintings are all still in the same frames that they always have been, but my frame of reference was different. I was looking at them from a child's perspective and then from a young person's perspective and now I'm looking at them from my perspective and I'm thinking about all these different aspects of how that changes what I see there. The paintings haven't changed, but I've changed. Those kinds of experiences help us reframe our circumstances. Maybe you visited a place that you've known as a child, right? And you saw the same setting that you'd seen as a child, but it seemed smaller than you remembered. You remembered it bigger. Or maybe you've looked at a picture and you said, you know, this really loomed a lot larger in my memory than it does in this picture. Our perspective is different. We've been going through a series in the book of Colossians, thinking about what it means to walk in Him. And one of the things that happens at the end of chapter 1 and in the beginning of chapter 2, it's a really a continuous thought here, Uh, The chapters and verses are put in later, but Paul's continuing the same thought. One of the things that he's doing is instructing us on how spiritual maturity can change the way we look at things. It changes the way we see things. And maturity is important. All of us grow older. None of us can control that. That just happens. But we don't necessarily grow in our maturity. Have you ever known anyone that maybe was immature comparative to where they they should be have you ever felt like you've done or said something and you've thought boy that that wasn't as mature as i should have been able to handle this i can think of those moments i wish i'd handled this more maturely i I wish i would have handled this differently we know the importance of maturity there are some things that are very cute 
when a child does them or says them. But they're not very cute or funny when an adult does or says those things, right? We know the difference. We know that we should be maturing. And with that maturity comes a change in perspective, a change in the way that we look at the things all around us. As we read through these verses this morning, I just want us uh, to stop, to take a step back and to look at what allows Paul to reframe his life. What is it that he says is the key to understanding life differently? If you haven't already turned to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start with the verses that Seth read for us, and then we'll go uh, to Colossians 2 and verse 1 on the screen. But I want to highlight one of the things uh, that's contained at the end of chapter 1. In verse 27... As he's describing this mystery that had been hidden and now is revealed, he says, The mystery among the Gentiles, verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we're looking for an answer to why it is that Paul can look at life differently, it's because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Those are two terms that are rich scriptural descriptions. Uh, Hope is an anchor. Hope is something that's a settled and solid faith you can build a foundation on. Glory is something that reminds us of God's power and glory. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that it's God's glory that was too great for any human being to see it. Moses couldn't see God's glory. Even just a little glimpse of it caused his face to glow. And just a few verses earlier, Paul's already described Jesus as the image of the invisible God, as the one who shows us the glory of God. And now he's getting even more specific, saying the hope of glory, it's not only shown to us, it's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In a world that sees hope as something that's kind of flimsy or wishy-washy, it might work out, it might not, I just kind of hope it would. And in a world that sees glory as something that's always self-gratifying and self-promoting, Christ is the hope, the settled faith of God's glory. We can rest on that. And so Paul continues in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Reminder there, it seems like Paul has not met the church at Colossae yet. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. He's repeating what the mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ himself, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now let's just pause right there and think about the way in which Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Reframes our outlook on life. How does it change the way I view my experiences? It doesn't always change my experiences. There are times in which 
uh, I can look back and say, okay, I, I understand why I experienced this, or, or maybe I can see value in this. There are other times we won't be able to see that, but we can look at it through the lens of faith. For Paul, it changed how he viewed suffering. In the beginning of the passage we read this morning, in verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Christ in us, the hope of glory, changes the way we view suffering. And so Paul looked at something painful and saw a chance to rejoice. He would tell the church in Galatia, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In Philippians 3, he would talk about sharing in his sufferings. Now, how is it that Paul could look at something painful, could look at suffering, and can see it differently? seems that through his faith, he was able to see purpose in the suffering that he was dealing with. Remember, this is one of those letters that Paul's writing while imprisoned. And so circumstances are not ideal for him, but he's looking at his life differently because of Christ in him, the hope of glory. Purpose doesn't always change our experiences, but it does help us endure some very difficult experiences. There were some philosophers that lived at the time of Paul. There were several different schools of philosophy. But one of them that we see recorded in the book of Acts are the Epicureans. And there's a lot about the Epicureans in history, and there's a lot about their philosophy uh, that we could go into depth and really look at all these different areas. But there's one thing I, I just want to mention that historically has been discovered. Because one of the beliefs of Epicureans was that they believed in the existence of gods, but they weren't concerned with humans. There was no need to worry about judgment. There was no need to worry about death. This life was all there is. And so historians have found inscriptions on the graves of Epicureans that would say, I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. Uh, they weren't written in English, obviously, but that's how they translate to in English. I was not, I was, I am not, and I do not care. In other words, there's a time when I wasn't, then I existed. Now that we've, we've gotten to death, I no longer exist anymore, and it doesn't bother me. It's hard for me to imagine a more depressing or difficult way to think about life than to think this is just all there is. There's just nothing after it. How is it that Paul was able to deal with his suffering? If, it, if this was all there is, if my life was defined by how I'm feeling at any given moment, well, then if this is all I've got to look forward to, that could be difficult. But Paul had purpose because of Christ in him. And he sees something different. He says not only is he suffering, he's sharing that suffering on behalf of his body, which is the church, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this is a, a challenging verse for us to think about, especially because of that expression, filling up what is lacking. Typically, when I read the words that something is lacking, I'm thinking, okay, something wasn't good enough. Whatever is lacking, there's not enough there. It, it hasn't uh, been uh, high enough quality. But if we look at the context of this chapter, that can't be what Paul's meaning. Paul has already said, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that He reconciled all things to Himself. He made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He'll go on in a few verses to say all of those blessings are found in Christ. There are no eternal blessings. There are no things that will matter for eternity that I have to go outside Christ to find. Christ's sacrifice gives me everything. The only thing that was left to fill up is the fact that even after Jesus' afflictions, His sacrifice, after the gospel is preached, His body was still going to suffer. Christians were still going to suffer. And it seems to me that what Paul is saying here is that my suffering is just filling up that future amount of suffering that's going to happen because Christians are serving God. I'm participating in the mission of Jesus. And when I suffer for my faith, I'm connected to the one who suffered for me. There's absolutely nothing lacking about the sacrifice of Christ. When it comes to salvation, that sacrifice is all sufficient. But when it comes to the future, Paul is pretty clear that there was still suffering that was going to be out there. In fact, he told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8 that he was dealing with an affliction that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but God who raised, raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a perilous death and will deliver us. As he describes his burdens, he's describing real suffering. That's what was out there. There was suffering to come. And Paul's telling Christians in Colossae, there'll be suffering to come in your future as well. It matters how do I view those things. Uh, Even when he writes to the church in Philippi about Epaphras, he says Epaphras came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient or what was lacking in your service to me. Again, he's not insulting the church at Philippi. He's saying Epaphras was working hard to fill up, to complete your intentions for me. It's not there was anything lacking about their service. It was that Epaphras was participating in it. When Paul saw his suffering, he saw as he exalted Christ that he was participating. He was dealing with affliction. And it's not just that he's exalting somehow suffering. It's not an idea that uh, he's sort of exalting hurting or pain for no reason. It's suffering for the church, suffering for his faith. And so I have to ask myself, how do I view suffering? When Paul saw it, he saw it as part of the natural flow of his faith. He wasn't surprised. And so when he was imprisoned, when he was dealing with challenges... He knew that this was part of the process. It's interesting here to see how many times Paul exalts Christ and sees his role only as service to Christ. Uh, It's not uncommon to maybe read uh, perspectives, especially historical perspectives, that would say, well, you know, Jesus and Paul are the two founders of Christianity. I've heard that statement before. And when you read through the New Testament, we don't see that at all. And what Paul is saying, Paul's exalting Christ. And as he's dealing with his suffering, he's focusing on him. It changed the way he viewed his suffering. It also changed the way he viewed his stewardship. If you'll continue reading in Colossians chapter 1, he says in verse 25 of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery 
which has been hidden. And this is a term that he will use more than once in just a few verses. It's been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God has willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ and Paul changed the way he viewed his stewardship. Paul had been given a great deal. One thing that continues to strike me the more I read about Paul is how God prepared him for his specific service in life. He had an education in Tarsus. He had training as a Pharisee. He had a Roman citizenship. And God allowed him to use all of those things in service of ministry. Paul had a lot going for him. But he didn't see it as something that he had for himself. He saw it as something he had to steward for his influence in ministry and to the glory of God. Tim has already mentioned, uh, as we were thinking about giving this morning, that we are stewards. That we've been entrusted with blessings that God has given us. Our calling is to figure out how are we going to use those things. Paul even was blessed with an incredible conversion. I mean, it's wonderful to share stories about how we became a Christian, but I have a hard time imagining any story that could top Paul's on the road, getting stopped, blinded by a light, seeing Jesus. Later on in the New Testament, we find out Paul even has visions of heaven, but Paul didn't see that as something that he could glory in himself. He saw that as something he had stewardship of. That was given to him to help in his ministry, to help bless others he was a steward of the message that mystery that plan that had been revealed and this would have been so important in Colossae because there were people then as there are now who would say well the story about Jesus is fine that belief is fine but you know there are some other things that if you really have this experience if you really knew this mystery if you really understood and whether it's some of the pagan cults that would have been in Colossae mystery religions whether it's some of the traditions or whether it was just some philosophical teaching that said well if you really want deep spiritual things you need a special knowledge Paul is saying what you need is Christ in you it's a constant reminder because we're human beings we need to be reminded we've already been given what we need If you look through the pages of the Old Testament, God constantly reminds His people that He delivered them from Egypt. I mean, we read about it in Exodus, but as we continue to read through Exodus and the rest of those books, the first five books of the Old Testament, there's a constant reminder God is the one who brought you out of Egypt. But we see that in the historical books. The psalmist talks about it. The prophets talk about it. God constantly has to remind His people, I delivered you out of Egypt. And there's something similar when we get to the New Testament. How many New Testament letters do we read inspired by God that have to say, remember what I've done for you. Remember what Christ has done. We just have this tendency to look for something else and new and different and bright and shiny and and some new kind of idea or some new kind of philosophy. And Paul's saying it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do I view my own stewardship? How do I view what I have? Do I think of it as, as my possession? Do I think of the things I have as belonging to me? Now, we're familiar with thinking about stewardship when it comes to material things that we have. 
But you know what's a challenging thought? Sometimes we might not be as caught up and attached to our material things, but also the time that we have. We can become very possessive of our time, can't we? We have a finite amount of time in the day. I know I can. I can start thinking, I've got to get this done, and I've got to get this done. And all of a sudden, I start viewing all the time that I have as my time. And if I dole it out to some other things, that's very generous of me because this is my time. It's a reminder as we read through this, how do I view my stewardship of the time I've been given? How am I investing my time? Am I doing that in a way that's reminding me it belongs to God? How do I view my responsibility to others? My stewardship of that responsibility. Paul saw that he needed to share that mystery with others. If I'm a member of the church, if I'm a member of this church family, I've got a responsibility, not only to God, but to other members of this church family. And other members of this church family have a responsibility to me, to all of us. It's the way that it works. And when I look through the lens of faith at the stewardship of my time and my possessions, it changes the way I view how I use those things. It also changes the way Paul viewed his own service. His goal was to proclaim Christ. Let's keep reading in verse 28 when he says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. If I were Paul, I might have been tempted to spend some of that time proclaiming my suffering. By the way, did you know that I'm imprisoned? Just, just throwing that out there to the church at Colossae. By the way, did you know what I've had to deal with? I'm, I'm just letting you know what I've had to deal with. Paul doesn't do that. He continues to proclaim Jesus no matter where he is. And he says his goal is to present them complete. To present them mature. When we see the word perfect in Scripture, your translation may say perfect. That means complete. Maturity is important. We know this because as our children are growing up, we're very concerned about maturity, right? We want to make sure with annual checkups that they're meeting benchmarks, and, and we'll make sure if there's something that needs to be done, we'll talk with a medical professional to say, okay, how can we help in this maturing process? We talk with teachers or, or tutors to make sure, okay, let's make sure that we're developing the way that we should. Uh, maybe it's something that a child is doing in his or her spare time. Whether it's a, a team that they're playing for or a project that they're a part of or a group that they're performing in and we want them to get to practice, we want them to mature and develop. We know the importance of maturity. But Paul says his purpose was to focus on the wisdom of Christ so that every man could be complete in Christ. If I were to stack up the amount of time I've spent thinking about maturity and other aspects of life, and I compared that to spiritual maturity, how would those things stack up? Is it maybe a reminder for me that I need to spend time investing in my spiritual maturity, in growing spiritually? It's not as obvious as... Uh, growing older or growing taller physically, at least not at first glance, but as we allow Christ in us to work 
that maturity matters. Here's the way that Paul describes maturity to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.13. He says it's the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? To know Christ fully. The fullness of Christ. When I have understood that, then I've become spiritually mature. And of course, that's a lifelong process, isn't it? He wants them to be complete in Christ. And notice the source of his power. It's not Paul's power. It's God's power that works mightily in me. We're the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, the workmanship of God created for good works. So how do I view my service? Do I view my service as something that I graciously give out of the generosity and kindness of my own heart? Or do I view it as allowing God to use me to accomplish His will? Do I view service as something that I'll get to? I've got a long list of other things I've got to get done, but service to God, that, that can be on the list, and that, that'll make it there. Or do I view it as something that I do because of my responsibility, my obligation to proclaim Christ and to seek to help others around me mature and to mature myself. It's a different way of viewing our service. When we understand Christ in us, the hope of glory, changes the way we view everything. And so this morning, I just want to challenge us. Whatever situation that you're in in life, I'd like to challenge us to look at it and reframe it through the lens of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Maybe you're experiencing something joyful right now. It's been a joyful time. You're rejoicing because something good has happened. When we are reminded of Christ in us, the hope of glory, of God working through us, it puts those blessings in perspective, doesn't it? It helps us know who we can thank for that because we know those blessings come from God. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum in dealing with life's challenges. You're dealing with something painful. And even in the middle of a painful time when it hurts, even to think about what we're experiencing, when Christ is in us, that can change the way we see our pain. It doesn't erase our pain. It doesn't take it away, but it, it changes the way we view it. Maybe you're angry this morning. Maybe you're dealing with something difficult and unfair. And things have been placed on you, burdens that you were never meant to have to deal with. And it's hard. Someone's done something that stings. If Christ is in us, the hope of glory, maybe that can put our response in context. If I think about what Christ has done for me, maybe that changes the way I respond to others. Maybe you feel numb, emotionally numb, spiritually numb, just kind of going through the motions. Many of us have probably been there before. Reflecting on the hope of our glory might help you see our dedication to Christ in a new light. Maybe you feel worried, deeply anxious about serious problems. Maybe a reminder that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Maybe that can be reassuring this morning. What is it that we cannot live without? Probably a long list of things that we're used to, comforts that we've become accustomed to, but when I reframe my life experience through the lens of Scripture, I'm reminded that when it comes to life, when it comes to life on earth and eternal life, what Paul is telling me by inspiration, what Scripture is reminding me of is I can't live without Christ, the hope of glory. 
That's my hope. That's what gets me through all of the challenges that I face. And the good news of Scripture is this morning, if you need to have that hope of glory, not of self-promoting glory that glorifies us, but of the glory of God, God made known to us, and then when we become part of His family, Christ in us, that invitation is open. If you'd like to this morning turn your life over to Christ, put Christ on in baptism and begin living faithfully, we would love to celebrate that with you and for you. It may be that you could use encouragement right after this worship service out this doorway. Uh, there's a room with a couple of our shepherds who'd love to sit down to talk with you and to pray with you. But it might be that you're in a situation and it would be helpful for the whole church family to help you reframe your challenge, to see it differently, to see it through the lens of faith. The good news is that no matter what we're dealing with, all of us can leave here with the assurance that God is with us. We can be reminded, Christ in us, the hope of glory. If there's any way we can help, please come as we stand and as we sing together. Amazing.